lesson from Luke chapter 2, and I'll say a few words after it as we pastors like to do. So I'll read to you the story of Christmas, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Brothers and sisters, Merry Christmas and grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I presume to be talking to reasonable people here. There is a certain way that you expect to be received when you are a guest at someone's house. But I assume that you're all reasonable. You don't expect butlers and a whole waitstaff and all this hoopla. But there's a certain degree of treatment that you anticipate when someone's having you over, right? You expect a certain kind of reception. Let's say you're going to your parents' house for Christmas dinner after this. You show up to your parents' house. You knock on the door. You expect to be greeted, right? You expect your dad to have a shirt on. You expect there to be some kind of plan for what's going to happen. The house is relatively clean. You know you're not going to be uh, uh, too uptight about it. But if you knock on the door and your dad shows up and he's in an undershirt and a bathrobe and his boxers, you're going to go like, what? Were you not ready for me? And then you walk in and you hear your mom call from the kitchen. Oh, I was just thinking about sandwiches tonight. Nothing special, but we're out of bread. And next thing you know, you're in your car again on your way to the grocery store to get boring bread for a boring dinner. 
that would be a little below what the kind of reception you would expect, wouldn't it? Tonight we are here to celebrate the arrival of the most important guest in human history. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God has decided to come be with us, to come be our guest. And how did we receive him? I'd say we dropped the ball. Jesus was born at a very, very stressful time. The ruler of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, he wants to find out how many people are in his empire. He wants to find out if he's getting the amount of taxes that he is owed, so he decides to have a census, which means that all the people that live in the Roman Empire, now they're stressed out because they have to go back to where they're from. That's why Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. Even though he was living in Nazareth, that's where his family line is from. He's got to go register. And he decides to take his pregnant fiancée, Mary, with him. Now, very tricky, very tough journey for her, but probably would be better than having to stay at her in-law's house during her third trimester of her first pregnancy. And while they're there, they get to Bethlehem, and what do they find? There's no place for them to stay, because guess what? Everyone else needs to go to Bethlehem, too, for this stupid census that Caesar Augustus decided to have. There's no room for them in the hotels, which is fine because they wouldn't want to stay there anyway because at this day and age, only the real riffraff stayed in hotels, the people who blow through town and cause problems. And in this culture, it was not out of the question to knock on strangers' doors and ask if they had a guest bed available for them, but nobody does. So Mary and Joseph, this young couple... Mary, fully pregnant, they have to sleep in some corner of somebody's house, and it was not, it didn't have that beautiful tile that your house most likely has. It was a dirt floor, right next to where the ox and the donkey and the goat eat and sleep and do other stuff. So you feel really bad for Joseph. You feel very bad for Mary because what happens? She goes into labor and gives birth on the dirt floor in some stranger's house in a town that she maybe has never been to before. It's a stressful time. You feel bad for Mary and Joseph, but what about Jesus? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God decides to come into our world, and this is the reception we give him? Everyone running around like chickens with their heads cut off, born into a stable of a home? But then when Jesus grew up, did he ever really get the reception that he deserved? No. All of Jesus' life, he was mistreated and hated. Very few people actually recognized him for who he really was. And finally, what happened? He was killed. So sometimes people will ask, you know, what if God would just come down from heaven and, and stand among us and talk to us directly? Wouldn't that help us so much? Wouldn't that help so many people? What if God just came and he, he said what needed to be said and he, he proclaimed the word to us directly? And people who ask that question seem to forget that God did do that already in Jesus Christ. He came and he dwelt among us. And what did we do? 
We hated him, we mistreated him, and we killed him. Can we really say that if God did that now, in 2022, it would be any different? Sure, there's medical advancements. The birthing process would be a lot safer. Mary and Joseph wouldn't be in the same kind of stressful situation that they were. Now, if there's a census taken, you just hop online real quick and enter your information. You don't have to travel anywhere. But the human issues that Jesus faced when he was born of human evil and our mistreatment and our gossip and our anger and our hatred towards one another, those have not gone anywhere. It would be the same situation as the first century in Palestine, would it not? Makes you wonder why God doesn't just wipe us out and start all over until you realize something. Jesus knew it all ahead of time. He knew what situation he was getting into. Jesus signed up for this. Jesus was not born into the human situation and shocked by how evil we were. When Jesus walked this earth and when people mistreated him, they didn't take him by surprise as if he was some naive deity. No, Jesus knew ahead of time how terrible we were, how sinful we were, how wicked we were, and he chose to be born. He chose to be born at this exact time in human history because as far as his plan to save mankind from their sin, everything lined up. He chose to be born at the precise time when a certain ruler of the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Rome, decided to take a census, which would force Joseph, a man from the house of David, to go to David's city, Bethlehem. He chose to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill all of our hopes and our expectations, all of those Old Testament prophecies that will be read in a minute. He chose to be born at a specific time when Rome was devising and popularizing a way of torturing and killing criminals that was designed to humiliate them and brutalize them to its maximum potential. He chose a cross. He chose to be born so that he could die, so that he could save you. All of this from the weak reception humankind gave to Jesus to his miserable, humiliating death, Christ chose because he chose you. That's the meaning of Christmas. Jesus choosing to be born to be your Savior, to save you from your sin, and to guarantee peace with God through him. But that's not to say that Jesus didn't receive any glory, any kind of welcome when he was born. There are some beings, some creatures who do sing his praises. They're the angels. And of course, they get it. They understand the significance of Christ's birth. And they show up. They're there to kind of coax along us humans to, to say, hey, go check out that manger, right? They show up to these, these shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those to those on whom his favor rests. That's you. God's favor and his peace rest on you through Christ. They're proclaiming what Christ's birth means to you and me. 
And what did the shepherds do? They run. They run and skip to the manger once they get over how terrified they are. And they look into that manger and they see the face of their Savior. And that's what we're doing tonight, brothers and sisters. We're looking into the manger and seeing the face of our Savior. Through word and song, we are proclaiming the peace that we have with God through this Christ child. And after the shepherds look into that manger and see the face of Jesus, they run around, they're telling everyone they know about the birth of their Savior. They are completely changed. And so are we. Once you see the face of your Savior in the manger, nothing can ever be the same. Because now you know that you are loved. Now you know that God is not your enemy. Now, that, now you know you are forgiven. And through faith in Christ, you're going to heaven. So what kind of reception is worthy of King Jesus? How should we receive him? Well, the plan for this, this service works pretty well. Singing his praises exploring the truth of what his coming means. But you really think an hour on Christmas Eve is enough for our King Jesus, who has saved our lives from death and sin and hell? Do you think after you leave church tonight, that pretty much covers it? We did our Jesus thing, and now let's get back to whatever else we were doing? No. In fact, you could say that that's what we are all about at Trinity Lutheran Church exploring and diving and digging deeper into this question of what kind of reception is worthy of our King Jesus. What does King Jesus and everything that he has done for us mean about our lives now? That's what we explore with God's word here at Trinity. We invite you to explore that with us. We continue by singing our next hymn. 